Everybody and welcome to episode 36 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host Andrew Forbes here on another Sunday night with my co-host Peter Barracchini and Peter. A ton to talk about again. Uh, you know, we recorded last uh, last time just before the trade deadline officially uh, hit, mm-hmm. and a little bit of trade news on the Leaf front as well as. A rough go for them lately, but uh, obviously we'll we'll start with our NHL news. First off, though, how's everything going out your way? I'm doing great, man. Um, last few days have been really great. New music is dropping up my way. Um, watched my favorite Batman animated film yesterday. And then, you know, this Leaf game came. And now it's not going so well. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, uh, it was going pretty good up until then. Um, you know, with everything happening right now, I still can't do a whole lot of anything. But how are you doing? Things are, well, things are interesting out my way. Um, obviously, with uh, the shutdown going on here in Ontario, both you and I are affected. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am still an essential worker, so I am out in uh, the workforce on a day-to-day basis things are quiet um obviously anybody who's been following the news in ontario knows that uh, there was a an order put in place for police to stop and ask drivers where they are going where they live uh, what they're doing out on the road many of the police forces across ontario did um kind of combat that um that order and yeah Yeah. i mean and rightfully so i mean they they just don't have the the personnel to do that Mm -hmm. uh really it 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 does come down to a little bit of an invasion of of freedoms and rights uh you know for for ontarians but um yeah it's been it's been an interesting week and it should probably continue to be that way for for the next few weeks as we head into the heart of this lockdown but some big news my little man is going to be 11 months old at the strike of 12 o'clock uh tonight so he is one month away from being a year old and he is officially spent a full year in the pandemic Mm. so uh I say he's stronger for it. I say he's going to come out of it, uh, yeah. you know, completely um, independent. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's going to be a year old, and uh, my wife and I are very excited about that. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a crazy but fun year with the little guy. So that's what is going on out my way. Um, but as we mentioned in the opening, lots of hockey to talk about. Lots of milestones, as always. It seems like we're always talking about new milestones each and every week. Mm-hmm. Um, Ovi's just got, one more away from Marcel Dion. That's right. Ovi is the the Ovi watch continues. Ovi watch. Ovi watch. I'm going to start calling <laughs> him Ovi One Kenobi. I think if he if he oh, uh, if man. he strikes that uh, if gets within reach of that uh, that Gretzky record, Ovi One Kenobi might be the uh, the new name for the Great Eight. 
the new Jedi Master. The new Jedi Master. <laughs> the the Jedi takes over uh, his his teacher. The student overcomes the the master. Ah, uh, the perfect analogy right there is just my my nerd switch in my head just <laughs> flicked right on with that man. I I knew that one was gonna get you. <laughs> uh, but uh, other than that, obviously Jordan Stahl hit his one thousandth NHL game. It seems like just yesterday Eric Stahl started playing in the NHL. Now Jordan's already reached a thousand games. Gifts will be coming his way from his teammates. Uh, Milan Lucic also hit a thousand games in style with a big fight against Scott Sabrin and the Toronto Maple Leafs at center ice center stage. What a way to, to really knock out the 1000th game. Mm-hmm. Derek Grant hit three thousand three hundred NHL games. Um, uh, Nicholas Backstrom hit his 1000th game as well. There's a guy who isn't talked about nearly enough with, with, ov1 kenobi being there in washington <laughs> with them um another another big milestone for uh mark andre Fleury as he passes ed belfort for all-time wins he's now fourth on the list and it just would not feel right if we didn't mention patrick marlowe becoming the all-time games played leader in nhl history and before we get to any of those, I want to talk about a crazy stat that I saw on Twitter um, that mentioned Patrick Marlowe in his many, many years and many, many games that he has played in the NHL. He has played with 37% of all NHL players to have ever played in the league. So, so take that in for a second and think about how many players have played in this league. And now consider that he has played a game in a game, suited up in a game with 37% of those players. Man, that is outstanding. That is insane. And he's been with the San Jose Sharks for most of his career. And a lot of great players have come and gone during his time there, came over to Toronto, played with a bunch of other great young players, going back to San Jose, Pittsburgh, San Jose again. Man, yeah, that 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 is insane with the amount of players that he has played. Yeah, and just, uh, I mean, it, it's crazy to think. It's it, it brings me back to that Super Bowl stat where I believe it was uh, Tom Brady had played in 10% of all Super Bowls or, or something crazy like that. It was just... It was a crazy stat, and and for for if you consider he's played in in a game with thirty seven percent of the players. I mean, you're talking about roughly eighty one hundred players that have ever played at the NHL level. Yeah, and he is suited up with nearly forty percent of those players. It's just, I mean, unbelievable. Has had a quietly very successful career. Mm-hmm. Still, still doesn't have that cup, unfortunately. Um, but now we can consider him a Leafs alumni, and uh, there's always a place in Toronto for a guy that suits up in the blue and white. Yeah, and all, and to get to that 37 percent, two decades worth, two decades plus a year, that is something. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, really, it's it's unbelievable. Um, another milestone that I really wanted to uh, take note of that uh, occurred just hours ago with the Leafs playing Vancouver. Um, 
it marked the 3,000th game for Canucks head equipment manager Pat O'Neill. Uh, he's just the fifth trainer in NHL history to achieve that milestone. So one of those guys that kind of goes unnoticed behind uh, behind closed doors and and what they, I mean, y- you talk to any player out there right now and they will tell you how important these equipment managers are uh, for him to do what he's been able to do and, and be around for three 3,000 games. Imagine the players he's seen come through that uh that uh, dressing room, uh, just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so, so kudos to him, Pat O'Neill, as well as Patrick Marlowe for reaching some incredible milestones. And really, I mean, I, I think about Patrick Marlowe's, uh, games played milestone, and I just don't know if that'll be something that we ever see broken again with the shortened seasons, the, um, stoppages in play, um, just, so much has so much politics let's say has come into play in the nhl over the last number of seasons the last two decades really that um you know for for a player to be stay healthy the way that he has for a player to have an ironman streak the way that he has um i mean that is just truly incredible and i don't know if if we'll ever see a player reach that milestone ever again yeah, um, like you said, so much has happened because he's gone through quite a bit of lockouts, shortened seasons, and especially right now, the, you just summed it up perfectly. It, is this something that can be broken again? Um, the next active player behind Marlowe is Joe Thornton, 1,600 or 1,668. Behind him, the next active one is Dan Chara. If uh, 1,598, two away from 1,600, and he's nearing the end of, you know, his career as well. We don't know if he's going to return or not because, um, I don't know, he's, I, I believe he's still playing. I thought uh, he dealt with an injury, but I think that was with Boston last year and the last few years where he's dealt with a lot of injuries. So, um, yeah, 1,700 games. I I mean, records are meant to be broken, but with the way that Marlowe has stayed healthy his whole entire career, that is difficult. I don't know yeah. if that actually is going to happen. Put this into perspective. Joe Thornton is still 99 games behind Patrick Marlowe on the all-time list. Mm-hmm. There's going to come a day where Jumbo doesn't have enough in the tank anymore to, to play at an NHL level. Yeah, um, I know, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but I know some would argue that now that time has possibly come, but I, I'm going to get in, into that a little bit later. But 99 games behind um, fellow former Shark Patrick Marlowe, um, and as you mentioned, Zidane Chara. Behind Chara, though, there is no active player until you get into past, you know, 1,100 games. So there's no player that's mm-hmm. even going to be coming remotely close. And that's considering that, you know, injuries are going to come into play. Um, obviously, as I mentioned, Marlowe's Ironman streak is just incredible. Eric Stahl is the next closest, 72nd yeah. all time at 1,280 games. So you're talking about another 500 games. That's, you know, roughly six and a half, seven seasons to reach where, you know, he's going to be even within striking distance of Patrick Marlowe. And it just, in my mind, is not going to happen. And he's at 36, too. He's nearing the end of his career as well. So, well, not nearing the end, but like on the downward curve of his, you know, 
peak level performance, so to speak. Where injuries will come into play as well. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, just uh, crazy numbers for Patrick Marlowe. And like I said, former Leaf, we can always hold that, uh, hold that, you know, close as as he uh, did suit up in the blue and white for some time uh, during that incredible, during this incredible run, I should say, this incredible run. It's not, it's not, uh, you know, it's not in the past yet. So yeah. um, kudos to him for doing what he's been able to do. Uh, in other news, the Caps and Connor Sherry are working on an extension. Um, Washington, obviously, you know, finding areas to fit in these depth players. Uh, Philip Grubauer was added to the NHL's COVID protocol list. He did test positive for COVID-19. On top of that, other injury news, Ben Bishop and Alexander Radulov have both been put on long-term IR for the Dallas Stars. They join Tyler Sagan on that list. Um, Some big news at the trade deadline in terms of league news. Um, First off, we'll obviously talk about the Taylor Hall move. Uh, You know, if you listened to last week, you heard live reaction to it. Um, (laughs) You and I kind of joked about how, you know, we broke the story and I I tried to get the episode up almost right away the following day because it was just, I mean, it was so timely. But for sure, he has fit in quite nicely so far in Boston. I know it's only been a couple games, so we got to take that with a grain of salt. But I mean, you're talking about a team that has put together such a solid core for so many years. I mean, they've got one of the best lines in hockey with Pasternak, Marshawn, and Bergeron. Now you add Hall to that mix, that you know, add him to the power play, throw him on a line with Krejci, try to get Krejci going, and all of a sudden you're talking about a team that could possibly have the best top six in all of hockey right now. Three points in four games for him right now. And he's already matched his goal totals with the Buffalo Sabres. So he's got that going for him. And the fact that, yeah, I I mean, if there was any team that I think that Hall was probably going to go to, it was going to be Boston because of the fact that they rely so heavily on that perfection line with Marshawn, Pasternak, and uh, Bergeron. I'm not sure if they're still together because there has been some line juggling um in the past but yeah that he just fills out their depth and going forward right now they're going to be in tough where they're still going to be trying to make get some separation in that um east division and you know it's it's going to be interesting uh, to say or to see how things will unfold with him on that second unit because they could really have used his touch maybe even before the trade deadline. He, but like you said, he is fitting in quite nicely right now. Um, he's still trying to find his confidence right now. There's still some inconsistencies in the game, but you know, he's playing with a really solid team right now. So that should clear up immediately. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And, uh, you know, I think he mentioned at the deadline that, uh, um, he did want to be, uh, you know, kind of fly under the radar in a city where he wasn't the center stone of mm-hmm. the, of, of the team that he's playing for. And, the market you know, obviously, itself. yes, exactly. And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, in Edmonton, he was the guy, um, in, in New Jersey, he was the guy, uh, and we saw with an MVP performance, yeah. um, you know, obviously he, he spent a short period of time in Arizona and, 
you know, big name. He was the guy. Now, all of a sudden, he goes to Buffalo, and yeah, there's Jack Eichel. Yeah, there's the overpaid Jeff Skinner, but Taylor Hall was one of the guys. Yeah. Now you're in Boston. You've got three guys who have a hell of a lot of talent playing ahead of you, and suddenly you get to kind of slide back into that, you know, secondary piece. Um, and, and and I think that means so much more to him to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we heard it at the deadline. He is interested in possibly signing an extension uh, in Boston. Um, but a lot of that plays into the fact that he's no longer going to be the guy. And we see that especially in Toronto that, you know, it's it's not – it's not easy being the focal point of a franchise. Yeah. Regardless of where you play, I mean, even if it's in, you know, Florida or or, you know, Arizona, it's not easy being that focal point for some of these players. Some of these players thrive off that energy. Some of them thrive off the pressure. Um, Austin Matthews is a perfect example of a guy who seems to take it with with, you know, with, with each stride and and he's able to kind of build off of that. He's someone that thrives under that. Same with McDavid. Absolutely. Absolutely. Leon Dreisaitl is another guy Mm -hmm. that just seems to thrive off of it. But Taylor Hall is built differently. And I will admit that I was one of the first ones to criticize Taylor Hall, you know, even back to his days in Edmonton that he just, you know, he's a guy who didn't get it done. He didn't get it done. Yeah, he had an MVP season in, in New Jersey, but... You know, when you were the basically the only guy putting up points in New Jersey, I mean, it's not hard to have that that kind of caliber of a season. That said, this is a guy who could really be a game changer for a team that is looking to give their aging core one last shot at a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because he, if he's looking to sign long term there, I mean... Patrice Bergeron is still playing or still putting up solid numbers at 35. He's on for two more years or one more year after this one at 6.8. Pasternak, another two at 6.6. Marshawn, another four at 6.125. Charlie Coyle on for another five at 5.25. If Taylor Hall is looking for a pay cut, this is probably the team to do it because I don't think you're looking for big term money with the Bruins at this point because they got a lot of money allocated, especially to their top three. Yeah, and I mean, you hear it from a lot of these star players that do take, let's say, team friendly deals. I I think when I when I talk about that, I think of, you know, Nathan McKinnon or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, Sidney Crosby. all the Boston Bruins. Uh, and that's yeah. why you saw a guy like Tory Krug end up leaving. I mean, he made some significant money in, in the deal that he got with, uh, with St. Louis. So for sure. Um, but for a guy like Taylor Hall, where, you know, your career earnings already are just teetering on the point of 51 million money at this point is not the, the main focus. I mean, mm-hmm. would you love to sign a, a $10 million deal? Absolutely. Um, is it realistic to do that and and be a team guy and and come in and win a cup? Likely not. And yeah. if you're going to do it with it, especially in this stale cap, which we have discussed, it's going to take four or five years for this for for the NHL to really rebound from financially from COVID. Um, this is where you want to see a guy like Taylor Hall maybe take a 
five, six million dollar deal and stick with the team. Now, that being said, you obviously Boston would have to look at where they sit as well, cap wise. And mm. is is he a guy that kind of fits that or is he, you know, maybe somebody that's going to have to look elsewhere when it comes to re-signing this offseason? Yeah, and that's and that's a big question right now. If if he is looking to take that pay cut, Boston is your team. If he still has that mentality where he's looking to still be that secondary guy but still earn eight million, there's not a team in the league that's going to do that. So your options are very limited. And if you still feel that your best option is Boston, just take whatever dollar value you could get right now. Yeah, and and I I think we've mentioned this before. Obviously, David Krejci is going to be a guy that they have to sign this offseason. Taylor Hall's a UFA. Nick Ritchie's an RFA. Sean Corrales is a UFA. Um, Tuka Rask. Tuka Rask is a UFA. Jared Tenorti, Stephen Camper, Kevin Millar, Mike Riley. So they've got guys that are, are going to be UFAs. They have guys coming up the following year that are going to be UFAs and RFAs. Jake DeBrusque is a guy that comes to mind. Patrice Bergeron will be a UFA after 2021-22. That said, um, each and every one of these guys makes in the five to six million dollar range. When I talk about Charlie Coyle, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, Patrice Bergeron, the guy making the most is actually David Krejci at 7.25 million. Mm -hmm. Now, could Taylor Hall potentially sign for a five, six million dollar deal? Absolutely. Yeah. That also means you're going to be looking at probably some of the young guys in your organization being a part of that um, that team that you're going to hopefully go on a run with. Uh, and that's what that's what has they have to understand if if they want to bring in a guy like uh, Taylor Hall at five or six million dollars. Mm-hmm. For sure. But. That said, we're going to see how this plays out for the remainder of the year. So far, so good for the Boston Bruins. Um, obviously, you know, they uh, they started the year without Pasternak in the lineup. So they kind of started shorthanded, but have since uh, really regained their 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 play. I mean, obviously, Swayman and Nett has done incredible. Tuka Rask was out for a little while. He's come back with a couple of wins. Things seem to be going well right now for Boston. So obviously they're going to let it play out this season, see where that goes. And, you know, who knows where we see Taylor Hall uh, come next season. But there is a very good potential that um, the Boston Bruins look to bring Hall back if both sides are interested. On the other side of things, big news at the deadline was that Tony D'Angelo was offered to be Basically, it'd be a mutual termination of his contract by the New York Rangers and Tony D'Angelo. That said, D'Angelo did not want to go that route. Instead, he would rather wait the full season um, and potentially have the Rangers buy him out next year. For those just crawling out of their COVID rock, (laughs) Tony D'Angelo started the year, um, had a rough go at the beginning of the year. Didn't like that he was a, a healthy scratch at one point. Um, took a couple stupid penalties. Got into it with Alexander Georgiev. And that is all on top of what he was doing on social media. He's been sitting at home since 
he was basically reassigned by the New York Rangers. Now, there were suitors at the trade deadline. There were teams that were interested in bringing in his services. The Rangers could not get a deal done. Um, they they wanted, as I mentioned, they wanted to terminate his contract and have him basically end up a free agent. D'Angelo is choosing to go the route of the money, and uh, hopefully the Rangers will buy him out. My question to you is, if the Rangers can afford it, and right now they have a number of young players that are on entry-level deals, that you know they they could potentially afford this but do you as the rangers sit him out an entire second season next year and kind of give him a whole fuck you um for for basically putting them in that position that's a tough one i would say yes I would probably just sit him out and let them let him do whatever he wants, because the thing is, he had an opportunity to go and play. The one of the teams that was involved was the Montreal Canadiens. They were looking to try and acquire him. He said no, he didn't. His contract, according to Darren Drager, like you said, they were willing to terminate his contract, allowing him to pass through waivers, sign as a free agent. Montreal believed to be one of those teams interested. He did not accept. If he's going to be like that, honestly, you you need to worry about your team going forward. And again, they're in a really difficult spot because he signed on for 3.675 for another year. Honestly, at this point, it's it's just disgusting of what he's doing. Um, someone was willing to give you a third chance, redeem yourself. They could have easily have bought out or terminate your contract so you can't be a free agent, and then they go and sign you. Um, you're going to be playing no matter what. I, I, I don't get his train of thought. If he wants to do like that, or if he wants to be like that, then I don't know why a team would want to go and take a fly on him and sign him if he does become available, because that's just the attitude that you don't want. And he's thinking of himself first right now. Here's, here's my thing is, is it a third chance? Like for me, like, yeah, it's more fourth or fifth. I mean, yeah, you look at junior and he had an issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was traded in junior. He had an issue with that team. Um, He was, he was drafted to the NHL by, uh, Steve Eiserman, um, you know, thought things maybe would turn around. He he chose, you know, obviously things didn't work out in Tampa. He got moved to Arizona. All of a sudden, he's moved again from Arizona. Within within, you know, two years, he was moved again and seemed to find his spot with the Rangers. And then all of a sudden, it's like back to square one with this guy. I mean, like. You're you're talking about a guy now that is, um, you know, he's twenty, I believe, twenty five years old. He's twenty five years old. Yeah. If you haven't learned your lesson at this point, and you're you're talking about a first round pick, a, a first round pick in twenty fourteen for Tampa Bay. If you haven't learned your lesson at twenty five years old, you're not going to learn your lesson. 
Yeah. I mean, you're not you're not going to grow up. You're 25 years old. You're not you're an adult. You're not 18. You're not 19. You're not making those stupid mistakes that you, you maybe you didn't get to make when you were 15, 16, 17. Mm-hmm. You're a 25 year old man. You're a grown up. At what point do you just you know hit your head against the wall if you're a GM around the NHL and say, you know what, I made a mistake acquiring this guy. Let's let it. Let's ride it out, and you know force him to learn his lesson. It's like any job, any place of work, people need to learn their lessons. And if that means a write-up, you know, I'm talking in in the workforce, the regular workforce. I'm not talking about pro athletes. Pro athletes are making millions and millions of dollars a year. Yeah. And this kid or this, this, I mean, he's acting like a kid. This guy cannot get it through his thick skull that you have an opportunity here to, to, play the game that you love and make millions of dollars if you just smarten up yeah and the thing is if they buy him out they're gonna have to pay the like 3.6 for one year doesn't seem like a big deal so if they buy him out to pay that money for a team like the new york rangers where they could have uh where they could eventually spend that money on someone uh down the road in 2022 2023 it's not a bad idea to just buy him out but if they were willing to just let him sit and just do whatever that's kind of a mess i know i said that that like just let him sit but at the same time you're letting him win by by letting him do what he wants if i'm the new york rangers right now i'd trade him for anything trade him for a fifth round pick sixth rounder i don't care what just get him off the team because like i said before he's not worth this drama this type of bs that you don't want to have in your organization and especially for a team right now where you're actually doing well without him in the lineup you don't need that crap yeah and and for me like it comes down to i wouldn't even trade him at this point like like you mentioned 3.6 million right now the rangers are showing uh roughly 11.5 million dollars in current cap space Mm -hmm. you've got about 10 players, 11 players on entry-level deals right now on your active roster. This guy is going to mean absolutely nothing to you aside from that $3.6 million cap it. If you don't plan on using it, let this guy ride it out. Yeah. Waste another year of his career because at this point in time, he he bent you over at the trade deadline when you could have made a move. And it, he's going to bend you over again when you end up buying him out and paying him that money over the next couple of years. So for me, it's it's a, I, if I'm the Rangers, I'm saying, you know what, forget this kid. He's going to sit and he's going he's gonna to watch from afar as, as the Rangers continue to build what is on paper going to be an incredible team in two to three years because he chose to, to mess up his career. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And the fact that, and again, he's putting himself before the team. You really think that even if you weren't bought out and you walked and you try to sign, like, let's say that they do buy or they are because they are going to buy him out. Let's say that that does happen. You become a free agent. You really think you're going to make more than what you're currently making right now in the open market. No one's going to give you that kind of money. No one. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think right now um, it just comes down to waking this kid up. Like I think back to guys like Rob Shrimp and, and uh, Josh Hosang who 
now potentially, I mean, while Shrempy's never going to get his chance at the NHL, Mm -hmm. I I mean, he played, he had a cup of coffee, but, um, you know, then I think of a guy like Josh Hosang, who, yeah, you know, who made some stupid mistakes, slept through some practices, had, had a bit of a shitty attitude coming up, but, um, he deserves his chance. He deserves a chance. Yeah. He deserves his chance. And he's, he's, you know, maybe had one or two chances that, you know, he kind of, he kind of made made some mistakes, but you're talking with D'Angelo, you're talking about a guy who's on his fifth or sixth chance. Mm -hmm. How many times are you going to forgive this guy just because he has the potential to be a, an offensive defenseman for you? And even then a defensive, a major defensive liability who doesn't even know how to block a shot as well. Yeah. So send him overseas. Send him overseas. Bring Josh Hosang over and send him overseas. I have no problem with that. That's, I mean, for me, at the end of the day, I think the Rangers are making a poor decision in buying him out. But I, I understand the financial side of it as well. And mm-hmm. um, I would love to see Tony D'Angelo land somewhere where they can afford to just sit him and, and not, not put him in the lineup. But at the end of the day, I'm not a GM for a reason. <laughs> and uh, I'm willing to spend the 3.6 million of my somebody else's money to watch this kid stew over stupid comments and and stupid mistakes that he's made in the past. So, because see, here's the thing: that 36.3.675 uh, mil, I'd give that to Pavel Buchnevich in a heartbeat. You Absolutely. like take him off that roster and just be like, fine, get out of my face, Pavel. Here. Or if you were able to trade him and not have to buy him out because they're going to have to pay him in that regard, if they just traded him for nothing, Pavel, here you go. You've you've played outstanding for us. This is your payday. Yeah, a slight, no, a slight, a slight payday from three point two five. But hey, um, if they decided to give him more, he deserves it. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, jumping over to the North Division and the Vancouver Canucks, who up until today hadn't played in 23 days due to a, a disastrous COVID outbreak um, serious. in their locker room. Yeah, it's very serious. We talked about it last week. Um, and it obviously transmitted to some family members. I know... Uh, uh, Sutter was talking about uh, Brandon Sutter was talking about um, how his pregnant wife uh, tested positive. Oh, their their kids tested positive, uh, and it's just it was it was a massive outbreak that really tore through that dressing room. Hearing um, something like that just really you, you get really concerned, no matter what team you support or absolutely. anything. It, it breaks absolutely. apart. And it was worth noting that. Uh, you know, upon the announcement that they were going to return to play, um, that they had the potential of playing 19 games in 31 days after coming off of, you know, what is a very serious um, respiratory uh, infection, essentially. Um, JT Miller came out with some pretty hot comments um, that I, I completely stand behind. I completely understand there are still players that are still dealing with the effects of the COVID-19 mm-hmm. diagnosis. They basically, basically their entire team was placed on the NHL protocol list. Uh, their, their coaches were placed on it. Travis green, um, I believe tested positive as well. Yeah. 
Um, and as I mentioned, families were obviously hit with it as well. Bo Horvat talked about his family, and he's got a young child as well that you know you you worry about. But JT Miller did come out with some um, some comments, and I'm going to read out uh, you know a fair amount of it here. But Miller Miller stated to expect pretty much our entire team to be ready to play after practice and a pregame skate is a little bit hard to comprehend for guys coming off of three weeks of rest. Two weeks of having COVID, one practice isn't even close to near enough time to come back and perform at a high level. It's not even about being able to perform. It's nothing to do with hockey at this point. Brutally honest, brutally honestly, I think that we're we're going to need more time than this to come back and play hockey. Even the guys that didn't get it, we're not, we're not ready to play. I don't really feel ready at all. To be completely honest, skating a couple times and my lungs are screaming and I'm definitely not in game shape at all right now from sitting around and not doing much. I couldn't imagine what these guys are going to have to go through to get back and be ready to play at a high level. So that's just a little bit of what he said. He obviously went on to say that there was a lot, you know, a lot more going on with the team and, and forcing them to play 19 games in 31 days um and, and and try and aim to get into the playoffs. Look, when they shut down the Vancouver Canucks, they were two points out of a playoff spot. They come back now, they're 12 points out of a playoff mm-hmm. spot. It just it's it it seems and he said it's frustrating. It's you know it's basically like the NHL is not thinking about them as people. They're not thinking of uh, of their families. They're not thinking of you know their overall health. Um, you know Thatcher Demko. We saw you know we saw Braden Holtby start against the Leafs tonight. Again, we're recording on yeah. Sunday uh, because Thatcher Demko is still dealing with repercussions of the COVID nineteen diagnosis. So I just I I mean I like I said. I completely stand behind JT Miller. I think it was brave to to come out and say what he did, or and um, you know to, to to have a voice, to give a voice to his entire team. I mean, it just I, like you get goosebumps thinking about it because these guys went through hell over the last month, um, and now are basically being forced to play every other day for the next four weeks. Um, yeah, it's just it's not realistic, and I I couldn't I I wouldn't blame anybody if if Vancouver decided to just walk away. And I mentioned that last week as well. No, I agree, and I think they should have shut down. I mean, their fir- their first game back, um, it was surprising that this team, with everything that they've been through, they came out slow start, but man, did they fight throughout the rest of the game, and they won in overtime three two. I mean, I'm just absolute in shock in a good way that they were able to recover with the players that they had, come back and win this game, even though I think they should have shut down and let them give them the time that they needed. Because let's face it, in reality, when you come off of something as serious as this, especially with a more transmissible and dangerous strain, you're still going to be weak, even though the virus has left you. You're going to be, like he said, like, there's going to be the aches. There's going to be the pains. You're going to be winded. You're going to be out of breath. And for them to come and do what they did tonight against the Leafs is very commendable. And I know we're going to talk more about the game later, but huge congrats to them on an effort given their circumstances. But 
how could the NHL allow them to go about and play a game right away after what happened? And I know that there are teams that ha- they had their issues with COVID, but they had it with the original strain. This isn't something that, or it wasn't something, obviously it's a concern, but this is a more dangerous strain. And the fact that he took a stand too, I don't, I, I'm like you, I don't blame him at all. You know, you look at the team, you look at the coaching staff testing positive. You just mentioned Sutter's uh, wife and his kids. They got, they were exposed to it as well. I mean, there were reports earlier on when, you know, they were having major bad flu symptoms and they had to be hooked up to IVs. That was being reported. Um, I haven't seen anything and thank God that this didn't come to this, that none of them ended up in the hospital. Because then that really is scary right there. I mean, their lives and families were on the line. Their health is on the line. And for the NHL to just ignore that and let them come back, even, I know they canceled the Edmonton Oilers game, but they should have canceled and given them another week or so rest or the ability to practice and get up to speed if they still wanted to come back and play. And if they decided to shut down too, Again, like you, I would have all been for it no matter what. But I don't know. It just doesn't seem right in the NHL to just force them to play these games, and especially in a very even more condensed schedule than what it already is right now. Yeah, I think at that point you're just asking for trouble. And, uh, you know, I think with what they've gone through, um, it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be out of the question to just say, you know what, the season's done for them. Mm-hmm. Um, let the rest of the North Division play. Let them kind of get to where they're, they're going to be and they can forfeit the season give the two points to you know their opposing teams yeah and and that's just you know water under the bridge at that point but yeah i mean it, it's such a tough year and we've talked about this i mean the whole reason this podcast started was because you know covid covid happened right yeah um and you know it's it, it's changed so many things um you know, from from hockey to, you know, like I like I told you in the in the intro, my my kids' first year, um, mm-hmm. it, it, so many things have changed, and you know, if if for a year, the Vancouver Canucks have to pull the plug, then that's what you have to do. Yeah. Um. There there's no ifs ands or buts about it. But at the end of the day, um, hopefully they they they're able to you know stick out the season i i know i know those guys love being out on the ice at the same time they want to protect their families um and it comes down to just you know what's better for them what's better for their families and um you know obviously we'll see how it plays out but yeah it's just it's a crazy note but you know big on jt miller to come out and be as brave as he did to as he was to speak out about uh, the nhl's decisions and um, things were changed a little bit in response to those comments, but uh, yeah, I mean, th- 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 those were some heavy comments from a guy that uh, obviously has seen the suffering of his teammates. So there is one last note that I would like to bring up before we throw it over to our guest, um, Mark Shag from the Hockey Writers, our Columbus Blue Jackets writer. Always can count on Mark to jump on this on this show, but before we throw it to him. Mm-hmm. There is some reports from a Twitter user, and we'll we'll call him Jonah. His 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 uh, Twitter handle is YYZ Sports Media. Um, he has been right on a number of occasions, but he is reporting that, by all accounts, Roger seems to be out when it comes to CHL TV deal. Uh, looks like um, 
it looks like TSN is about to announce a three-year pact with the CHL, which, I mean, one, it's great for TSN. Two, it could be great for the CHL to have those guys kind of be the ones bringing us the games. Obviously, there's a lot to unfold about this story. These are just initial reports from from Jonah himself on, on Twitter. So there's, I mean, obviously we want to look for a second source, make sure that there is a likelihood that this is true. Um, but there's, uh, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. And, and hopefully that will, you know, bring more national coverage to the OHL, uh, to the WHL and to the QMJHL, if that were the case. Um, but yeah, I mean, big news, if it is in fact true, Obviously, Rogers will be focusing on other things if that's the case. But uh, as I mentioned, we will see where that goes. No, for sure. And like you mentioned, I, with the TV deal that Rogers has with the NHL, I think their main focus is on that. But man, again, I'm not familiar with this source. To me, I think this is just speculation. But like you said, this would be great for TSN, especially with the way that they put on the coverage for the world juniors and i'm pretty sure they're going to do a fantastic job with the u18s um focusing in and giving junior hockey a bigger market on canada's you know largest sports network and especially with their coverage in hockey i mean that's just phenomenal for both sides right there yeah no absolutely and um with that uh, we have mark shag who also covers OHL hockey with the Erie Otters when they are playing. With that, here we go with Mark Shag, our Columbus Blue Jackets writer. Everybody, I'm so excited to welcome our next guest back to the show, uh, our staff writer Mark Shag over at the Hockey Writers for the Columbus Blue Jackets, our credentials manager running the show for us, uh, us writers at the Hockey Writers, always doing a great job, and host of the Hockey Writers Live which is also off to a very hot start. Mark, welcome, and thank you very much for coming back. As always, Andrew and Peter, thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. So we'll start it off right uh, right where we want to go with this is uh, Nick Felino coming to the Maple Leafs. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts, and what can we expect in Toronto? I'm not surprised. I mean, you kind of look, in the hindsight being the best 2020, his dad played with the Leafs. You obviously grew up then watching them as a result, so – you knew that there was a connection there. It's just a matter of with Toronto's cap situation, could they find the right deal, make it work? And yeah, they were able to get it to work out. And what you guys can expect is um, just leadership, uh, someone who can play up and down the lineup anywhere from top six to bottom six. Um, and there's really only one way he knows how to play. And that's with full effort, dedication, um, not maybe not going to give you the offense that um, he used to be able to bring, but he's going to be one of the more dependable defensive players. So if he gets stuck in a bottom six role in a checking role, that's going to be very effective to let the skill guys do their thing. Or if he even gets thrown in the top six on the left side, maybe with John Tavares, you know, the, he could be just as effective there. It's just Sheldon Keith is going to have options with him and it's going to be really interesting to see where he settles in. I mean, he can take face-offs, he can kill penalties. So just think of any situation that's going to be important for the Leafs coming down the stretch and into the playoffs. Don't be surprised if you find Felino there. Mark, we saw what happened in the bubble last year with the Jackets and, you know, the effort and the 
the lack of skill, but the impact that everybody had, including Felino, did to the Maple Leafs. Uh, do you think that he's the answer to help be that player to help push them forward and make that deep playoff run? Is he the actual answer? We'll find out. But is he someone that's going to come in and certainly help them? Yes. I mean, when he spoke to the media, he was asked about the bubble experience and he came out and said, you know, that's a team that's on the rise. And he thought that they were really close on that up close personal experience of being able to play them in the bubble. So he feels like that he's going to be able to kind of take them to that next level, especially defensively. I mean, if there's anything that, you know, Leafs fans know, it's, you know, they'll have some good stretches of play in the playoffs, but then when all the chips are down, they haven't been able to get over the top. And I think that getting this kind of a boost, I, I, I know that some people may have wanted Taylor Hall, but the Leafs already have enough skill. They need guys that, can play the other side of the puck just as well because when playoffs get there it's going to be tighter checking going to be more physical Felino's more of a fit for what the Leafs need at this point and he's going to help so many people in that room especially some of the younger players in there and says he has a lot of playoff experience he was on that team that beat Tampa as you mentioned on that team that played in the bubble so yeah he, he's seen a lot of different things and I, I think that it's going to be a huge asset for that team Mark, you kind of touched on it, how he's going to help the room. And one of the things we talked about on Maple Leafs Lounge uh, well, yesterday was mm-hmm. that uh, the Leafs now have four former captains on their team, including John Tavares. Yep. What does Nick Felino bring that maybe is different from, say, Joe Thornton, say, a Jason Spezza, say, a, you know, a John Tavares? Well, if you take, take a look at the playoff experience for all of them, what, what do you see? Not well, not a whole lot. Not, not, not a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> and I'm not saying Nick Felino has done a lot um, in terms of you know going on and winning a cup or whatnot, but he has won a couple of different series. And he, he one of the biggest upsets ever in Tampa Bay. I mean, who saw that coming when it happened? Mm-hmm. I didn't. He it, it's the the it's going to be the big moments. Think back to that Tampa Bay series. It was three nothing in the second period, um, in in game one against the Lightning, and everyone thought, oh, the Lightning's just going to sweep on by. Nick Foligno gets a breakaway and beats Vasilevsky to make it three to one. That goal, a lot of people believe, turned that series around, turned the momentum over to Columbus. He also scored one of the biggest goals in franchise history, in Columbus history, back in the playoffs against the Penguins when he scored in overtime at Nationwide Arena. So he has the propensity to rise up to a moment when the opportunity is there. And he's done it multiple times. And I just think that that overall experience um, – is going to help the room, but also knowing when to be able to speak up. There's, as you guys mentioned, there's a lot of experience. There's a lot of leadership in that room. I think Flina is going to go there to be able to just impart what he knows and speak up when it's necessary. And I think it's going to work the other way around. I think some guys are going to go to him and say, you know, you know, what do we need to do here? I just think that it's never a bad thing to have those kind of voices in the room, especially someone that's been in the battle who plays the way that he does. So I think that you're going to see a more physical Leafs team. And I think you're going to see a more defensively oriented Leafs team, especially if Felino's given important minutes down the stretch. Mark, you talked to Yarmo Kekalina a few weeks ago on the THW Live uh, with the trade deadline edition. And you touched up on the deadline and the fact that Columbus could be sellers. 
Um, did you get a sense that, you know, with your talk with him, that Folino was most likely going to be dealt if it was becoming the reality? And what was the uh, initial price that he wanted for him? And did he get what he wanted? Good question, Peter. Um, it turned out that, yeah, we knew there were going to be sellers. Pretty much knew David Savard was gone. We knew Nick Felino would be gone if he was okay with it. I think the Blue Jackets handled it well, being able to go to him to say, here's what we got. And as it turns out, there were multiple teams that were willing to give up a first-round pick for him. So it came down to my understanding of it, Kekalainen going to Felino and say, here's what's going on here. You know, what do you think? And then Felino in his press con- his introductory press conference said, it just felt right in my heart to go to Toronto. And so ultimately that's the way that it worked out. And it's not to say that Felino won't sign back in the off season. He could, he still has his family. He's leaving his family back in Columbus due to COVID and schooling and things like that. So there's still a lot of emotion there and there's certainly a way back for him to get to the blue jackets as an unrestricted free agent. But for now, they absolutely got what they were looking for. They they want they wanted a first round pick. They're kind of in a reloading stage where they need to build back their prospects. They need to be able to, as they're struggling right now, they really need to get back on the right foot here. And being able to trade both Savard for a first and Felino for a first, that's a haul, especially in the flat cap sort of situation, because it opens a lot of options for them now. They could make the picks if there's good enough players there. He made the interesting point about, and Peter, you're going to be in the middle of this scouting. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that um, haven't been able to see the players because quite frankly, they haven't played. So there could be a lot of hidden gems possibly gathered later in the 21 draft because just because there hasn't been viewings, there hasn't been enough playtime. I mean, scouting is going to be very interesting to see how it works, but on top of that, think of the flat cap world. You've got a Seattle expansion draft coming up. And if a, play, if a team that is afraid they're going to lose a player to Seattle for nothing, why not call the Columbus Blue Jackets? Maybe they're a fit for Columbus because they're going to be looking for young controllable assets and they've got multiple first round picks. So do you want to lose them to Seattle for nothing or do you want to give them up and possibly get a first round pick from the Columbus Blue Jackets, you decide. So there's a lot of options that are out there. They definitely got the price that they're looking for. And as a seller, Columbus has to be considered a winner in in, um, the trade deadline. You kind of mentioned that, uh, you know, there is a possibility that he comes back, which was kind of where I was going with my next question. So I'm going to jump over to uh, Vini V. Viva Lainen. Yeah, sorry, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> it's a Sunday morning, so it's tough sometimes. Yeah. But um, obviously, we talked to you before about the least prospects in, mm-hmm. in net and, and how Columbus has built this phenomenal line of prospects when it comes to goaltending. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what did the Leafs get in that prospect? Very interesting prospect. Viva Lainen got caught in a numbers game in Columbus. And you consider the depth chart now, Corpus Allo, Merzlikens in the NHL, both when when things are right are considered a number one. Matisse Kivlenix is in Cleveland, has been up to the NHL and played in a couple of games. He's p- probably the most likely one to be exposed to Seattle. And then I think the highest upside goalie of all, we haven't even mentioned, has also just arrived in Cleveland and is 2-0 in the AHL since arriving from Russia, and that's Daniil Tarasov. So there really wasn't room anymore for Vevelining, given where the Blue Jackets were at. But he had a really good year in Finland before coming over. And um, he's somebody that I think 
going to be very interesting. He's got some size, got some athleticism, little bit of a struggle adjusting to the North American game, but that's kind of to be expected. Um, and the way the Columbus situation worked out, he didn't maybe get into as many games as they hoped for, but so I, I would watch out for him. Um, he's somebody that I think could eventually make an impact. I mean, you have a little bit of time at this point, but I was a big fan of him. He was projected by many to be an NHL goaltender. So if he continues along the right development path, I think the Leafs do a pretty good job of that. Um, I would not be surprised to see him make some sort of an impact within a couple of years within the Maple Leafs. You just mentioned another deal that the Maple Leafs made early on when they traded uh, Miko uh, Lettinen in mm-hmm. order to get uh, Bevelainen, but they also made a third deal way before the Nick Felino one in acquiring Riley Nash. And he yeah. is someone that I really wanted to run on a sign when he was a free agent after the Boston series, because I thought he really stood out in terms of his um, ability to go in on the four check, be aggressive and still be that, you know, depth centerman that could shore up the bottom six. Mm-hmm. Um, how difficult was it to see someone like him given the impact that, you know, he, given the fact that maybe the blue jackets weren't in a competitive spot, he was still a major factor for the team. He was their number one center for a while, Peter. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's how bad the center depth on, on the blue jackets was this year. Once Dubois got traded, mm-hmm. I mean, you've had a mix of youngsters and the most accomplished center in that group was Riley Nash. And now, unfortunately, the injury derailed him, but they were able to work with the Leafs to be able to work out a deal for conditional picks. So the Blue Jackets are happy because they get a little something for him when they didn't think that they were. But his timeline was four to six weeks, so that would put it right to the beginning of the playoffs. And if there is anything Nash can do, again, there's your there's your bottom six center who can play in important situations. He can take face-offs, is de- um, defensively um, responsible. So I think you're seeing a trend. I mean, even started in the last offseason with Simmons, now with Felino, now with Riley. Now, I think the bubble experience really opened the eyes of the Maple Leafs that they're onto something. They have the, the top-end skill that's required. Um depends on what you guys think of Morgan Riley. You got a really good defenseman there. Um, I know goaltending's obviously been a question with Freddie's health and um, Jack Campbell doing some amazing things with that streak. But the obvious question is going to be, how's the goaltending going to hold up? But but forward-wise, I think they made it a priority that they want to be harder to play against. Because if there's anything that Columbus was able to do in that bubble series, they were able to physically dominate. And I think now they're in a position where the Leafs are at least able to match that against teams and they still have the top end skill. They still have the same guys that can fill the net almost at will. So it'd be really interesting to see if the new combination, they could find the chemistry to be that team that could be really hard to play against. Cause if they are, then they're a legitimate threat. Well, Mark, uh, as always, thank you very much for coming on and, and giving us uh, some great insight into not only the Maple Leafs new players uh, coming from Columbus, but also your Columbus Blue Jackets. As always, everyone give Mark a follow on Twitter. Uh, has some great content coming out and uh, continue all the great work that you're doing with uh, THW Live. Yeah, I appreciate Absolutely. both of you, Peter and Andrew. Thanks for the time and really enjoy the show. Thanks again, Mark. Appreciate thanks, it. Guys. Have a good one. Well, Peter, short and sweet. Uh, obviously, Mark had somewhere he needed to be, but uh, always nice getting him on for his uh, 
his in the in the loop um, coverage of the Columbus Blue Jackets, and obviously we have big question. We had big questions for him mm-hmm. with uh, Felino coming in, Vavalainen coming in, um, you know, Riley Nash coming in for that matter. Yeah. Um, and, and as I mentioned, our last episode we did record right. As the trade deadline was heading into midnight, uh, again, we're doing it on Sunday night. So things are a little different for us as we kind of work through um, the the new schedules that I'm on. But uh, with that, the Leafs did make a couple more trades on deadline day uh, that we will quickly touch on. Um, one of the things we talked about was bringing in defensive depth. They brought in uh, Ben Hutton. From the Anaheim Ducks for a 2022 fifth round pick. Um, obviously, that adds a little bit more depth to the uh, to the Maple Leafs back end. And uh, following that, they also traded Alexander Barabanov, who just did not seem to stick with the Leafs, to the San Jose Sharks for Anti Suomela as well. Um, so with that deal, they do save a little bit as Suomela, I believe is uh yeah he signed to a one-year deal right now worth 700k um so again uh not not two major deals but uh two minor deals that uh definitely uh, help i guess the maple leafs kind of get to where they need to be both in cap and in depth overall yeah i'll start off with the the bigger one out of the two with ben hutton um I thought this was a really underrated move. Obviously, you would have liked to have tried and got, a, you know, another solid top four option. But Hutton himself, um, I think he could still be very serviceable. Um, his best season was with the L.A. Kings last season, um, where uh, he had some pretty solid possession numbers. And the fact that also... He still earned some really solid ice time uh, as a, uh, in their top four on the penalty kill. It was really good. And I'm hoping that he could be inserted into the lineup, maybe challenge Travis Dermott for that uh, third line spot. But we'll see what happens. I mean, he had 20 points at the Vancouver Canucks in 2018-19, 16 in 2019-20. Five so far this year. But then again, the Anaheim Ducks, you know, they're at the bottom of the barrel, their bottom dweller team again. But given the fact that he's played in a top four role, he's earned top, top line minutes. Um, it's, it, it's a really good, it's a really good deal. And whether or not, again, he challenges Dermot for that spot, he could very well be a player to watch. If, if Hutton does get in and he has a good game and Keith wants to see more and he continues to impress over Travis Dermot, then Travis Dermott is probably going to be watching from the stands because I don't know what's going to happen. But you're just looking at his uh, five-on-five stats with the Kings. He was 55.80 Corsi for a percentage and for a shot attempts. And he had, again, the 16 points in 65 games for a team that ranked 28th in the league. That shows that Dubas still has some pretty good value for him. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, uh, as I mentioned on Leafs Lounge over at the Hockey Writers, Hutton wouldn't have been my first choice. That Mm -hmm. said, I think think Dubas made 
I think Dubas had a really strong deadline, um, not giving up any roster players aside from Barabanov for the pieces that he did bring in. So I think in, in saying that, you know, he got what he could for the, the pieces that he was willing to move and, you know, Hutton could come in and, and, and be a force as well. And, you know, you mentioned it, maybe it's more of a, um, underrated deal. Um, but you know, I'd love to see him get into, into a couple games before, you know, obviously not, not via injury or anything like that, but, it'd be nice to get Hutton into the, into the lineup to see what he's able to bring to the, the Maple Leafs. And um, I think Dubas had his eyes set on him in 2019 before he signed with LA. So this is another player that intrigued uh, Dubas ahead of time. Yeah. I almost feel like it's like Dubas is filling out his fantasy roster where like, <laughs> you know, you, you sit and you put them on your watch list for, for a number of weeks. And finally the team that has them drops them or, or is willing to move them. And all of a sudden you jump on it. And now, you know, two years down the road, you've got the guys that you want to wanted in the first place to fill out your roster. So <laughs> it's almost like, <laughs> you know, Dubas is, is a fantasy hockey GM, just slowly filling out the pieces that he needs in this keeper league. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, uh, I think it, 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 it's going to be an interesting deal. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. It's going to be an interesting deal to see how it works out. Um, I think the Riddick deal was, was big for the Leafs. Um, obviously the Felino deal is, I mean, I'm, I'm just waiting for, to get Felino into the lineup. Um, but, uh, you know, coming off that deadline, Dave Riddick was put into the starters net almost immediately against his former club. So, Get, let let's set the let let's set the picture here. First, he flies into Toronto with his former teammates on the Calgary Jet. Okay, then all of a sudden he's in the starters net against his former team. You know, with some some of his leftover red pads, and, <laughs> and then he says uh, at one point during the game he he saw a, a player coming towards him in blue and white, and it. It uh, got his heart racing. He was, you know, getting ready to make the stop before he realized that, hey, this is my team now. He's on the other side. He's on the other side. <laughs> um, I mean, what did what did you take away from from his first start with the with the Maple Leafs? Um, I thought that he played really well. I mean. Did he have his shaky moments? Yeah, you're coming over to a new team. You had some pretty good moments with the Calgary Flames before. Um, but yeah, I thought he still did a pretty good job. Um, in that game, none of the goals were his fault, especially on the game winner where there was poor coverage in OT. He stood tall when he needed to make a save, and he relied on, or when the team needed to rely on him, when you know they failed him, he was there to hold his own, and he kept them in the game for the most part. And yeah, I thought I, 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 considering the fact that you know he's had his ups and downs, although he's been really put uh, putting up solid numbers with the Maple Leafs this year against the Maple Leafs, having him provide that sort of consistency where, you know, you still have some question marks about Anderson and Campbell that, you know, you can count on him to do his job if he needs to go in that net. And he came in relief against the Winnipeg Jets, and he did really well, where the Maple Leafs were down 3-1 three, three 
in after the first period, came back 3-2, and he stood tall in that net until the third period where Marner turned the puck over to Ehlers and Riddick tried to play the puck, and he put him in a bad spot. So it's like none of the goals that he's faced were entirely his fault. And, you know, you have some question marks right now where Jack Campbell starting to get a little bit harder than on, on himself. Anderson still isn't back yet. If you need to go to Dave Riddick, you have some stability in there that you can rely on. Yeah, I used to watch this show called Decoded, and uh, it it like broke down some of like the biggest conspiracies in the in the world. And I'm starting to wonder if I'm going to see a Frederick Anderson uh, Decoded episode at some point because <laughs> I do remember that show. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's just I, I like there's no news around what's going on aside from the fact that he's joined the team again um but uh yeah i mean right now the biggest question for the maple leafs is goaltending mm-hmm. um yeah they're, they they've got some some things to work through obviously in front of the, their goalies uh power play being the biggest issue they got one tonight but they should have had a, a few more on the power play i'm i'm, I'm talking about but yeah i mean I think goaltending is just the biggest question. Riddick's having a, an off year. Um, as you mentioned, his two two appearances with the Leafs so far, they weren't bad by any means, but you know, obviously couldn't get the job done against his former club and uh, gave up the, the uh, goal against Winnipeg um, on 17 shots. But he hasn't played overly poor, um, mm-hmm. nor has Jack Campbell. And Jack Campbell is a guy, we talked about this a while back, is that is a guy that feeds off of his confidence. And right now his confidence is a little shook. Yeah. He had his 11-game win streak. Now he's lost three in a row. The Maple Leafs have lost four in a row overall. Um, and to, to, to lose that confidence at this point in the season is not what you want in a guy like Jack Campbell because no he is he's a team guy and I tweeted it out um before that I think Jack Campbell is deserving of the Mark Messier leadership award even though he doesn't wear the C he's a guy that just you know everything's on his shoulders and maybe he takes on too much I don't I don't know but you know, give credit where credit is due. This guy will go out and take a bullet for any one of his teammates. And he has done that so far this season. And then he's laying, laid on the ground while the bus backed up over to him as as well. Yeah. Um, and, like, at, at a certain point, this team's got to start, you know, doing getting it done in front of him. And, and, you know, build that help him build that confidence back up because that's when he was winning games. You could see in his post-game interviews how happy he was, how, you know, you know, pumping the tires of the guys playing in front of him. Um, and right now, with with no real news on when Anderson's coming back, this is your tandem. Jack Campbell, yeah. David Riddick. At some point, one of them is going to have to steal the net. And, you know, right now, Campbell's on a little bit of a losing streak. Riddick isn't off to the greatest start of, you know, in his season at four, seven and two, um, you know, nine Oh five save percentage. So he's a guy that, you know, really needs to turn things around as well. But for me right now, the Maple Leafs are struggling at the goalie position and something needs to change. We heard it with Paul Hendrick last, last episode that, you know, 
the goaltending is going to be what carries this team or doesn't. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that that's just my 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 two cents. Again, I'm not a GM. I'm not a coach. I'm a guy who sits at sits in his basement on his computer watching the game. So, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, I can say all I want, what I think, but the team's got to figure it out. No, for sure, and you nailed it on the head. I mean, listen, I, I I get that Jack Campbell wants to be at his best, but he's got to stop being hard on himself, and that, I think, is one of the issues. The other issue is what happened to the Leafs team where they were, you know, playing at their best? These last three, four, this four-game losing streak, um, well, the last, the games against Montreal, the Jets, and even tonight, they were not at, well, the Canucks game, they were at their best. It's just they had some bad lapses in their own end. I mean, Morgan Riley going up to the point, leaving Matthews to having Matthews be confused as to why he's there, having to come back and try and tie Nils Hoglander up, and then Hoglander scores a game-tying goal. Um, and again, like, you have Campbell and a perfect, like, squaring up with Bull Horvat on that game-winning goal – and it just gets underneath his blocker or underneath his arm. That cannot happen. And I and I got a little bit off topic talking about those goals. But, like, what happened to the team in front of him where, you know, it was the game against the Edmonton Oilers. It was the game where he won his 11th straight, 10th straight. We're just not seeing that consistency both in front of him and from Campbell himself. And listen... Campbell made some really great stops tonight, but there were, again, the goal that mattered was that game-winning goal, and he should have had that, and that was a stinker. And right now, he shouldn't be hard on himself. Yes, he should have had it, but he himself cannot be that negative because then it's just going to carry over into the next game. I know people were going to say that, oh, this is what happens with someone who has very little experience as a starter. Yes, but on the plus side, he still has outplayed Anderson all season. And... No matter how it may have looked, even when he's looked bad, he still looked good. And today is one of those games where, yeah, he gave up a bad goal, but he was still really damn good in the net. And, you know, it's Anderson has put together games where he's had less than 900 save percentage. Campbell has had that consistency where even if it's a bad game, he can still have a decent save percentage. It's just right now he needs that confidence. He needs to get it back, and the team has to help him out in that regard by still having a consistent effort. And they destroyed Vancouver in terms of possession. There's no doubt about that, but when it mattered most, they couldn't get the job done defensively. And even so, again, that game-winning goal, he's got to have that. And you want to pinpoint it, or you don't want to put the blame on him because the Maple Leafs had a 2-0 lead, and they blew it again. So, I don't know. It's it, it's a bunch of factors coming in at this point. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and what hurts as well is, you know, they've obviously had their fair share of injuries over the last little bit as well. Um, obviously, Nylander being placed on the, the COVID protocol list. Robertson was also placed for a short time on the COVID protocol list. Um, you know, Matthews missed the game. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, that, that kind of stuff doesn't help either, um, you know. I would say their biggest injury right now is is their power play. Um, mm-hmm. 
just not getting it done. And and we saw it tonight, and we'll talk about this in a second. But they had a five minute major, uh, a five minute a five minute power play, and they scored with you know seconds remaining in in the power play. And it, that's not to say they didn't have opportunities. Look, the power play looked better today than it has in you know a weeks. It right? has. Yeah, and they they got they were getting the movement. They were taking shots, which is the biggest thing that you know any Leaf fan will tell you. That any Leaf fan that watched Thomas Caverlay on the power play will tell you they need to shoot. You need to shoot the puck to score goals. Mm-hmm. And even the goal that they got was was a broken play that Matthews was able to just chip it over top of Holpe and and. You know, it is what it is, but maybe that's what they needed to stop overthinking their power play and focus on just getting pucks to the net. Get a body in front and start throwing pucks at the net. Good things will happen. I just, for me, that's a big part of the game. Look, they scored 15 goals in their first 12 games on the power play. Now this power play is just not looking the same. And it's not to say that they don't have the firepower. We all know that they have the firepower. This is a team that's struggling mentally to figure out where they need to be in certain aspects of the game. They're making that extra pass. Even even at even strength, they're making that extra pass and giving up solid opportunities. And... At the end of the day, that's going to come back to bite you in the ass. And we, we've seen it happen in the playoffs before where, where they've fallen into that trap of the power play just not getting things done. And, and you know, for them to go on a run, they need to figure this shit out. And, and they need to figure it out soon. I'm looking at someone in particular on this power play. Uh, I mean, the second power play unit looked better on that five on th- on that five minute power play than the first unit did. And even in the first one where, you know, Toronto had a hard time entering the zone, like those entries are just absolutely awful. I am sick and tired of the drop pass. I am tired of seeing Morgan Riley pick up speed, slow down, curl back, drop it, pat, drop pass it to like Matthews or Marner and then have them skate it up. That kills 20 to 25 seconds off the power play. Why are you doing that? If you... And, and you're in a stretch now where, granted, they scored. You were one for 43 doing that same damn move or same setup every single time, and it did not work. What makes you think it's still going to work in the future? And on that goal, it was a result of Nylander rushing it up. And I mentioned on Twitter early in the night where, you know, they need to keep it simple. They need to rush it in. They need to chip it in in order to set it up because teams are just blocking up that blue line. And the fact that they're dropping and passing it nonstop, they're they're already cluing in of what's going to happen. So that rush in by Nylander, taking it in, gaining entry into the zone, and then having Matthew go straight to the net, that was a perfect play. That's, not, that's just simple tic-tac-toe hockey, pl- simple placement of X's and O's. That's what needs to happen. None of this overthinking. And Morgan Riley, I'm I'm getting pretty I'm getting exhausted of seeing the same thing over and over again with him. His entries are slow. It's not quick enough. He's putting everybody in a bad spot. And even with this passing, he's slowing the play down. And I get you want to like control the tempo of the power play. But every single time that puck is on a stick, it ends up nothing comes of it. 
and he ends up making a pass over to Marner, and Matthews primed up for a one-timer shot, and he elects to pass, and he's shooting on his own, and it's missing the net. He needs to have better decision-making on the power play because I'm, I, it's not working with him. Either they try and move Jake Muzzin under that top unit, and I know this is a bold statement, but he looked good on that second unit, shooting the puck, quick movement, finding the open guys on a pass, and finding the right lane. Muzzin was doing the job that Morgan Riley should have been doing, and Morgan Riley's on the top power play. He needs to get it together because it's not working, and honestly, I just can't wait for the day that Rasmus Sandin is running this power play because he's got the exact movement, the patience, and the vision of what's going on. I'm not seeing that with Riley right now. Let me throw a proposition out there. Go ahead. What What are your thoughts on, you know, four game or two? Maybe you put Riley outside your top four. Maybe you maybe you go five forwards on your on your first power play unit. That would be interesting. I don't know if that, I don't I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if Keith would elect to doing that. But man, you got to do something. Either he needs to pull Riley aside and be like Morgan, like what's because basically the power play is running through him. He's supposed to be the quarterback, right? He's supposed to be the one that's dictating the pace, and every single time it's so slow. And to see that every single time where even early on in the year, I believe it was that moment in overtime where he's taking the shot. Matthews is wide open for a one timer against Ottawa Senators. He more Riley takes a shot. It's blocked by Dadanov and Dadanov ends up scoring the game winning goal. Like, it's what are you thinking? If you got someone that could rip the puck like Austin Matthews, why aren't you giving him the puck? Yeah, I mean, like, look, at the end of the day. It's it's kind of goes back to the whole D'Angelo conversation we had. It's about holding them accountable, mm-hmm. and that's why I I propose you know giving him a couple of games off the top four because he, he's making mistakes. There's a lot of pressure on him. I think there's a lot of pressure, but and it's not to say that he's not a top four defenseman. It's to say, yeah. look, you need a break. We need to hold you accountable. You've made some mistakes. You made some poor plays over the last little bit. We're going to give the opportunity to somebody who, you know, maybe has been thriving over the last little while. Yeah. You know, maybe you you say, look, Justin Hall, this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to to step into that that spotlight. Yeah. And and you you just remind Riley what he is capable of doing. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not to say he's a bad player. It's to say that right now, he looks out of sorts. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm kind of glad that you see it, too, because it's like we've seen what he can do on the power play. We saw it last year, the year before he like when he's on the move, he's on the like when he turns on the Jets, he's flying in and he needs to do that more. Yeah, he just he, I don't know if it's just this season, but even late last season, he just hasn't looked like the Morgan Riley who, you know, put up 50 plus points. Mm-hmm. he's he's just there's something off and he's just not getting as involved as he used to and i think that's detrimental to his overall game yeah and i'm i'm throughout a scenario where there was a report saying that the carolina hurricanes and dougie hamilton are not close or not seeing eye to eye on a potential contract and 
I believe Dougie Hamilton is a free agent at the end of this season. If there's a point to trade away Morgan Riley and sign Dougie Hamilton, would you do it? I see. I don't know if I would. Um, and it's not a knock on who am I kidding? Yeah. It's a knock on Hamilton. Look, here's a guy who, <laughs> here's a guy who was in Boston. Things didn't work out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Goes to Calgary. Things didn't work out. Now he's in Carolina. And I know I seem like a, you know, I'm just, I'm just reading things the way they were. He's been traded three times. There's a reason why he's traded three times. He's a, he's a phenomenal player. Mm-hmm. He's a phenomenal player. His potential, his ceiling is, is, you know, way up there among, among potential, you know, top end defensemen in the NHL. But there's a reason why he's been traded three times. Do, right now with the, the young core that you have, is he a guy that you want to bring into that room? Or the other way to look at it is maybe he's a guy you do want to bring into that room because you have a Joe Thornton, you have a Jason Spezza, you have a Nick Foligno, you have a John Tavares who might, you know, put this kid where he needs to be to, to, to understand what it means to be a pro. I don't know. I don't know Dougie Hamilton from a hole in the wall. Here's why I think I would. And, and, and yeah, there were some, there was speculation as to his, you know, his, his outlook as a player or his personality, attitude, outlook, everything. That's why he was traded three times. And I was in that category before. I, I do agree that th- something didn't quite seem right. But Dougie Hamilton has been playing under Rod Brindamore for the past three seasons. And Rod Brindamore has taken over that team by storm. And they're absolutely a contender right now. So if anybody could have helped Dougie Hamilton in that regard to be more of a leader and more well-rounded, it would have been Brindamore. So I think he has that going for him right now. And he was under a point-per-game pace last year before he got injured. He's at 35 points, 43 35 points in 43 games this season. And he looks to have figured out his game defensively. And I think that if you have him on that top line with TJ Brody, I think you could have a solid top pairing right there. Yeah, no, I, I like I said, I, there's nothing I'm not taking away from, from Hamilton as a player. Oh, absolutely um, not. Yeah. I, I would like to hope that he's, he's grown and meshed into you know, being a, a true professional, and, and you're right. He's played under Rod the Bod for the last uh, for the last little while, and and you know, hopefully he's he's been able to to develop him into you know not only a good player on the ice, but you know, a respectable pl- player away from the ice as well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I I'm open to the idea of trading Morgan Riley. Um, he's been he's been with Toronto through the ups and the downs and you know when this team hit rock bottom he was there so Mm -hmm. you know it it would be hard to see a guy like that go but at the same time sometimes you need you need a wake up you need a you need a new uh, fresh start and you know it might be an opportunity for him to you know extend his career a little bit as well um you know that said uh right now he is a maple leaf and for them to really push to where they are 
or where they can go on a run, um, they need Morgan Riley to be at the top of his game the same way that they need a guy like Zach Hyman to be a part of this lineup. And Mm -hmm. I want to jump into this for a sec because Zach Hyman's had a hell of a week, okay? Yeah. First, he basically is attacked in front of the Winnipeg Jets uh, um, net. Comes around with a swing of the stick. Yeah, it was it was it was a rough high stick, and and he was ultimately fined for the high sticking on uh, Neil Pionk. Um, that said, I mean in that same play, he took a two hand to the back of the leg. He took a cross check to the middle of the back. I mean he was taking an absolute beating, and this is not just a um, this is not just a Maple Leafs fans look at you know. Zach Hyman in front of that. This was a brutal attack on the player in front of the net, regardless of who you're a fan of. Video doesn't lie. Video does not lie. <laughs> um, and yet there was no other consequences for Winnipeg Jets players. Instead, it was just Zach Hyman fined $5,000 for the, the high stick. And that was, that was it. I, I I know you were I know you were perturbed. I saw your tweet on uh, shortly after the game, and you know I I unfortunately didn't get to watch the entirety of the game, so I went mm-hmm. back and I watched the video, and I was absolutely shocked. Um, and this, I mean, this comes down to our our continuous conversation of uh, regarding the Department of Player Safety, and I mean, how many times can you criticize uh, this branch of the NHL's head office? Yeah. Here's my thing, too. Okay. The Hyman high stick, it was a high stick. I don't think Hyman was intentionally trying to high stick somebody or purposely throw a stick in somebody's face. It looked like he was also getting a little bit off balance because forward, I believe it was Derek forward. He was down on the ice in front of him and obviously may have lost his balance again from what I saw. But getting into that battle with Pionk, the cross checks, and then he skates away after he knocks him down and then gets a two-handed whack to the back of his leg and no call to be to be perfectly fair it should have been offsetting minus for both Hyman did get the stick up and Pionk I, I don't know how they missed that but they totally botched that call but yeah it the, the officiating the department of player safety is just an absolute joke right now I mean for something that Hyman was like losing his balance over, Pionk actually used his wep- his stick as a weapon on the back of Hyman's leg, and still nothing. Come on, like the video is right there. We all saw the same thing, and you elected to find Hyman and not find Pionk. That's just brutal, man. That that that's that really just grinds my gears. Yeah, I mean, I guess at, at what point do you do you blame this on the officiating or or do you blame it on the Department of Player Safety? I mean, for me, I think both are at fault at this point. Like, it's just mm-hmm. it, the game itself has become such such a f- and, and you know what? forget <laughs> it. We're we're explicit. We're explicit we need, on iTunes. I was it, about to say we should a, get like a little little sensor button. Yeah, it's such a <laughs> fucking debacle at this point, and. I'm at the point now where I just – I don't know what's a penalty anymore. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you're talking to a guy who played hockey for, you know, 12, 15 years. And I'm sitting here just appalled at where the game has gotten to. Yeah. 
And I, mean, I think that's what's so frustrating. It's not it's not even just the leaf perspective. I mean, I'll jump on the Montreal train and say that Brendan Gallagher takes an absolute beating in front of the net. And a lot of the times there's no call. Yeah. Um I I don't know. I I I really don't know what to say anymore because I think it's just it's become such a shit show that it, it there's no real explanation as to what constitutes a penalty in the NHL anymore. I'm like you in that regard. I mean, I, you played hockey growing up. You've, you 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 probably had your fair share of like bad calls oh. and arguing with the refs. Um, I know I did. There was one point where in my I, it was a summer league game. Some guy's hacking at my leg in front of the net. I knocked him down. He tries to cross-check to me. I take him down again. We both get sent off. And I'm looking at the ref. I'm like, you're kidding me? Did we not just see the same thing? He's just like, yeah, but I got a call affair. So I'm like, bullshit, man. Come on. Like, I'm getting abused. In, like, I'm getting attacked in front of the net with all these hacks at my leg and, the, and my back. And I'm getting sent off. Come on. Like, although I have seen better calls playing in minor hockey growing up than I have seen at the NHL right now. So what does that say? Yeah, look, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about this pair of refs in, in Oakville um, that when I played minor hockey and they were just, Oh, they were just fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> they were awful. Uh, and, and it seemed like every time you got one of them, you got the other one. They were always, they, they were like a pairing. Um, yep. I had that. Uh, I had that same instance growing up as well. Yeah, and uh, so in in minor hockey in Ontario, uh, they had this this rule where you had three stick infractions and you'd be basically tossed from the game. Um. Anyways, I was I was a defenseman. Uh, I liked I like to think I was somewhat offensive, <laughs> but I I also love to grind it and. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I got uh, I ended up getting tossed from a game, and it was an awful, awful call, like just just a brutal call. And I remember javelining my stick into the penalty box because I just thought it was it was absolute bullshit that uh, that they made that final call on me, <laughs> and essentially got me kicked out. And I was wearing an A at this point uh, for my team, so you can imagine the frustration. <laughs> you can imagine the frustration yeah. that, was, that was coming <laughs> over me, but. Um, and I just remember, you know, leaving the ice surface and the fans from the other team, you know, all clapping as I was leaving the ice surface, no stick in my hand. Obviously the stick was still in the penalty box. Um, and, uh, I just remember throwing my gloves off and giving them, you know, giving them a little bit of, uh, a love with, uh, two, two, two of my uh, favorite fingers. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, man, it just seemed like every time those refs were on the ice and look. At the end of the day, they called a penalty because I I, I cross-checked a kid in front of the in front of the net. Mm-hmm. But they made the call. I was pissed off, but they made the call. I don't see that right now. I don't yeah. see that in the NHL. I see these guys getting cross-checked time after time after time. And you know, it, you know the the little jab in the back that's different. These are full-fledged. You know, extension, numbers back. extension of the arms. The mm-hmm. second you extend your arms the way that you do, where you're holding your stick and you cross check them in the back, that's a cross check. That isn't. That's okay. It's okay in lacrosse. It's not the same in hockey. Yeah, I think, I think they got the two sports confused. I was gonna. And say we were on the same page. <laughs> yeah. 
But, um, yeah, I mean, Hyman, like I said, Hyman's had a rough week. Um, anybody who's listening to the show, we just finished watching the game against Vancouver. And, uh, obviously, Hyman went down with a big injury. Alex Edler with the kneeing, um, you know, extends his knee, takes out Hyman. And it, it, it was, in fact, the same knee that he had the ACL surgery on uh, in 2019. So, that is frightening um, from a from a Maple Leaf standpoint. That's frightening from a Maple Leaf fan standpoint. Um, Frustrating as well because that was a very dirty hit, and we've seen Edler make those kind of plays at the same time throughout yeah. his career. So yeah. Now now take into account based on the department players department of player safety uh, ruling of repeat offenders. Edler does not fall under the repeat offender act. There you go. That said, you and I have discussed this before. If you've done it before, you're going to do it again. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're a repeat offender or not. Tom Wilson, have your ears open because you had another hit today. (laughs) It's, you got to suspend this. Yeah. It's a suspendable play. It's not. You're looking to injure the player. Yeah, it's not anything where it's like a Tom Wilson thing where you're looking at maybe five plus games. This is probably like we've seen other they showed other hits on Sportsnet where it's like maybe a one or two game thing. And they was going back and forth one or two games and they showed three great examples. Very similar. And I think it is a two game suspension. Now, like you said, not deemed as a repeat offender because his last suspension came a couple years ago. So what's going to happen now? I, is there going to be suspension? He should be because he almost like, I mean, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but if it was that same injury or the same knee that he had surgery on and he did suffer something severe, although it looked like after the game, he wasn't, he did have a positive attitude and everything was okay with him. In a post game, I saw Kristen Shilton tweeted that out where John Tavares saying that he was all all positive, all smiles. So that's a good sign. But man, if it wasn't and he needed to go get another MRI, you are looking at something serious. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed that it is just a minor uh, bump and bruise. And, uh, you know, we'll see Hyman back very quickly. This team needs all the help they can get, especially on the power play. We are big fans um, of Zach Hyman, in case you did not realize that. Big fans of Zach Hyman. I'm surprised <laughs> I don't have a Hyman jersey yet. Hmm. Oh, next on the checklist. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, but in other quick news, before I get to – I've got a question for you. But before I get to that, I just want to note that uh, Rodian Amirov did sign his entry-level deal. So he is officially signed as a Toronto Maple Leaf um help is on the way no i'm just kidding um but he's you know exciting news for him he'll likely be loaned back over uh overseas um for another year um and uh they'll they'll be able to go from there but uh great development uh for the for the leaf prospect and um yeah very excited to see him come over and play it in the nhl at some point down the road now that said i've got a question for you is it a tough I, one? It, it's not. It's not. Okay. Um, okay. Good. I don't know if there's a <laughs> real true answer for it because the thing is, there's been a lot of hate towards a number of Maple Leafs over the last little while. I know 
Um, John Tavares has been at the brunt of a lot of it. Um, you know, Wayne Simmons, there's been questions about his effort over the last little while. But one of the guys that, you know, I, I just am trying to wrap my head around the hate is Joe Thornton. Yeah. And I'm, I say that because <clears throat> there's been a lot of criticism about his play of late. That said, this is a 41-year-old who right now has 12 points in 33 games. Okay. He's, he's being paid very little, minuscule amounts compared to the star players on this team. Yeah. And yet there's an expectation because of who he is and what he, the numbers he's put up over his career that he should be, you know, having a better offensive output than he has had with the 12 points in th- 33 games. I, for one, don't expect much more from Joe Thornton. The reason this guy was been, was brought in was for his leadership in the room. The fact that he will take the attention off the star players when it comes to the Toronto media and what he's able to do as a spokesperson in that room. Mm-hmm. I think he's taking, and you know what? To be honest, it probably doesn't bother him all that much. Yeah, um, but he's, he's probably taking, heard it a lot worse. Absolutely, but he's taking a lot of shit for the play that he's he's um, had over the last little while, and I, for one, think it's a load of crap that you know the expectation is for this guy to be at you know twenty five points in thirty three games, and you know. I, I think it's it's people are expecting him to do the same thing he did when as a twenty five year old now that he's forty forty one going on forty two. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's difficult because you know you you know what you were getting, you weren't getting you would you have liked to probably see him still on the top six get probably thirty forty points alongside Matthews and Martyr? Yeah, sure, you would love to see that, but at the same time, I. I for for me, I did come out with an article talking about players who could be replaced out of the lineup once the new players come in. And Thornton, Simmons, and Engvall. Engvall's already sad, so I think we already have our answer of who would come out. But those for Simmons and uh, Thornton, it's not so much the production. It's just more so the offensive consistency and just trying to get things generated. It seemed like things were dying on their stick quite a bit. Thornton with the passing and then Simmons just taking an extra second too long trying to figure out what to do. I think it was more so of just getting the consistency to try and get stuff on net as opposed to offensive total production. Because I think that, yeah, Simmons, we weren't probably going to expect a whole lot of. Thornton, we weren't going to expect a whole lot of. But maybe you would like to see maybe a a point or two over a stretch of games as opposed to just, you know, zero points in 20 in that stretch. So I do, I do see that there is, there there's, there's good criticism for what people are trying to say about Thornton and Simmons, but then there are people that are just saying going the extra limit and going one step above. So I could understand why people are saying the things that they're saying, but if it comes to a point where, you know, if you just want to, like, bench him completely or don't even bother playing him at all, that's not the right thing to do. Although, if you want to try and do some load management with them because they are a bit older, go right ahead. 
But if it does come to a point where you do need to play your better players and Thornton and Simmons maybe just aren't getting, again, not point production, but, you know, consistency. Although today, Thornton and Simmons, along with Spezza, that line was pretty damn good. That was probably one of the the second and fourth lines were the best lines that I've seen this whole entire game against the Canucks. So if they're able to generate that kind of consistency, throw the body around a lot more, that's what you need to have in this lineup, and I, they should stay. But if it's just going to get to the point where plays are just going to keep dying on them, then that is a bit of a cause for concern. 10%, shooting percentage, 56.25% on the faceoff dot. This mm-hmm. guy's here for a reason. Yeah. He's not, he's not going to be a 50 point guy. Um, not at all. He's not going to be, you know, a 30 point guy. If he, if he puts up 25 points by the end of the year, I think you, you should be more than amazed mm-hmm. um, because obviously he's on his downslope. He's yeah. on the downslope of his career. He moves a lot slower. The game moves fast around him, but he's a guy that's out there and brings energy to the lineup. And I think that's the key. I mean, these young guys love Joe Thornton. Yeah. You can see it on their face when he gets involved in the play. You can see what he means to this lineup. I think he's just being – he's taking a lot of unfair criticism at, at certain certain points and – there's an expectation that comes with his name. And I think that's why there's so much hate driven towards him over the last little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's had some bad games. The Maple Leafs have had some bad games. Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, to pinpoint one particular player, um, I, you know, it really blows my mind that, you know, it, and I said this on Leafs lounge, I think I, I'm going to be 33 this year. And as, <laughs> as I get slowly a little bit older, I, I kind of, focus less on criticizing individual players and try to focus on it criticizing the team as a whole for sure um can you pinpoint certain areas where where you know players could have made better decisions absolutely mm-hmm. um to to criticize their overall game i think it, it it is tougher to do and and you do that when you're ready to send a guy out of town and for me right now joe thornton belongs in toronto yeah and again it's like i said there's fair criticism but then there's also just, you know, hating on the guy just because, you know, you just want to hate on the guy. So, yeah, it's it, it is in a difficult spot with him right now, because I think, again, today he was throwing his body around. We didn't see that. I Again, even if he wasn't putting up the points, if he was being that jump, like he's got a big frame. If he's throwing that body around pretty well, and he made some fantastic passes today, if he's doing that on a consistent basis, then by all means, again, keep him in the lineup because he does have significant value. I mean, Engvall is, has that big frame. He's not throwing his weight around. We saw that last game against the Jets. Thornton and Simmons were doing their part. Engvall really wasn't. And now we're seeing the fact that, you know, Thornton and Simmons do have, they should stay in the lineup at this point. I, again, I use them as uh, because of their recent play as an indicator, why their jobs may be in jeopardy, but you know, Keith knows what he's doing. He definitely could keep them in the lineup and he does have faith in them. So, you know what, if he has that line of not necessarily Thornton, Spezza, Simmons, but 
Thornton, Nash, and Simmons, and then Spezza moves up onto a third-line role, you still have something great going on right there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I, I, like I said, I just I brought up Tavares on Leafs Lounge. I just think yeah. there's a lot of a lot of uh, unwarranted hate going around. Um, and, and this is, you know, I want to jump back to Twitter for a second, where, you know, this is a team right now that there's a lot of panic after this loss to the Vancouver Canucks. And give the Canucks credit, absolutely. they came out and they earned that win the entire way. Mm-hmm. But two 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 things worth noting. First, Kristen Shilton from TSN uh, noted the Leafs have lost two games in regulation since March 19th. So they've earned 21 of a possible 28 points in the last month while tied for the second best point percentage in the NHL. This isn't their best stretch of the season, but the sky isn't exactly falling either. They're still getting points even if There's, it's one. Exactly. And mm-hmm. on top of that, James Myrtle from The Athletic noted the Leafs are 9-3-3 with a 61% expected goal mark over the past 15 games. Not exactly time to panic. Biggest concern could well be their goaltending, which you and I noted as well in this yep. episode. So Leafs Nation, settle down, take a breath, <laughs> have a beer. You know what? Have two beers. Two beers. <laughs> and... Don't panic. It's not yeah. time to panic. If you're going to panic about anything, panic about the fact that you're living in Ontario right now. <laughs> and, uh, we, you know, <laughs> focus on the good things that are coming from the Maple Leafs. Because right now, it's not the worst case scenario for the Maple Leafs. And I think that I think the fact that last year is starting to slowly creep in where they, again, slow start, picked it up and then heading into the playoffs, they start, their play started to decline a bit. And I think that's where fans are starting to get a little bit on edge because it seems like history sort of repeating in that regards. Power play slow, inconsistent efforts. But you know what? When this team goes through a stretch like this, I think their last one was where. You know, about a couple of weeks ago before the deadline where they had a bad stretch with uh, the Winnipeg Jets. They seem to bounce back right after that. So, you know what? If any team can bounce back, it is this one. They have the willpower. They just need to get their minds focused and settled in. Absolutely. And uh, as we get to the end of our show here, my tweet of the week goes to Igor Larionov second. Oh, he that tweeted, account's picking up steam. Everyone's loving it. It's insane. It's 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 absolutely insane. And and uh, he tweeted the NHL should relegate the worst three teams to the AHL every year. So I want to tell you a quick story here because I've been with the hockey writers for I think eight years now, going on going on nine in September. Congrats, by the way. And yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and. Uh, one of my articles that I wrote way back when I had a column called Tape to Tape was that to avoid um, to avoid uh, basically tanking. yeah tanking losing on purpose getting that first overall pick the way the NHL can change that is to relegate teams and basically create a relegation league for the following year. Um, so it just kind of it made it reminded me of that piece, and I just love that he came up with this idea with this whole super league of soccer going on in Europe right now, uh, and talks of that. I, I I thought it was hilarious that he said, you know, relegate three teams to the AHL every year, and and uh, 
you know, how that would tie in with the NHL draft is beyond me. I don't know the logistics. I, I did create some logistics in my article, but um, yeah, I just thought it was hilarious that he kind of went along that line as well. No, for sure. And that's a very, okay. I don't follow soccer quite a bit, but there is a lot of talk about this super league or something like that. So um, again, that would be very interesting whether it happens or not. I don't know, but it, it does pique my interest just a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I'm not a huge soccer follower either. I just noticed that, uh, you know, there, there's a big, it's almost like a mutiny of soccer in, in Europe right now where the 12 top teams are, are coming together and building a super league. And it just, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy what, uh, what, you know, pro sports has come to where basically teams and players have more say than the the owners and leagues themselves. But that said, Peter, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners as we close out this now uh, Monday morning episode? Um, go Leafs, go. As bad as it, as bad as the game was. Goalies go. I mean, let's bounce back, put it behind us as bad as it was, despite the fact that, you know, we, they dominated most of the game. Got to continue going forward. Absolutely. And uh, if you get a chance, check out the uh, Sidney Crosby hip check from this, uh, from Sunday afternoon. Uh, Big hit from Sid the Kid. But uh, yeah, I mean, an hour until my son is officially 11 months old. Oakley daddy loves you. And uh, yeah, it's uh, episode 36 in the books. Um, Peter, all of you guys listening, I want to thank you all for joining us again for episode 36 of sticks in the six. You can follow Peter over on Twitter at P You can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes or you can follow the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. It could be Amazon. It could be anything. We're we're all over the map right now, guys. Um, download our latest episode. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so we can bring you more content. I'm kind of upset that golf courses are closed because i have official sticks in the six golf balls that i was dying to use it's got our logo on it um i was hoping to lose a few in the force which is a guarantee every time i hit the links um (laughs) so that somebody could find it and check out our show just based on the golf ball that you found in the forest why not uh, (laughs) yeah i mean uh great episode as always peter and uh, for all those listening we look forward to having you back next week for episode 37 have a Absolutely. great day. stay safe guys <laughs>